Many experts believe we have to make significant strides in becoming a carbon neutral planet by 2030 if we want to reverse the impacts of climate change. This podcast exists to help everyday people reduce their carbon footprint in a practical way and become a part of the solution. It's time to rise up and join the carbon neutral movement. This is the Carbon Neutral Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Carbon Neutral Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about U.S. snowstorms and renewable energy. I thought last week's episode went really well, as you kind of remember me talking about just sort of riffing and keeping it a little bit more natural. I think that this is going to be the way that I go forward, but we're going to try it again this week. I might leave in a couple of uh, hiccups that I might have. And just let me know what you guys think. It would be really interesting to hear what you, uh, the feedback that you give me. So I hope you all had a good week. And I'm glad that I left this open-ended because I didn't tell you at the end of the episode like I usually do what topic we're going to be covering. I did that somewhat because I wasn't 100% sure, but also because I knew that there could be a really good topic that comes up. And I want to leave for that opportunity. So that said, I wanted to talk about why we're going to be discussing the snowstorms. Obviously, you probably have heard by now, but a lot of our country here in the United States has no power because of these snowstorms. And this week it surfaced that renewable energy could be or could not be a reason for that. And we're going to be talking about who has been saying this and potentially debunking it, which hint is, yes, we are going to be debunking it. But I thought, as always, we got to start with segment one, which is the current climate news outside of this topic, of course. So let's go ahead and get started. We only have a couple of stories this week. I wanted to keep it short and sweet. So with that said, The first story is coming from Clean Technica, where they mentioned that the city of Richmond is pushing California to go 100% ZEV by 2030. Now, this is a pretty big push. ZEV is zero emissions vehicles, and that is a goal for the entire state, of course, of California. And basically, it's covering all new cell. It's basically covering all the new cell vehicles throughout the state. Obviously, this is something that they're just pushing for and it hasn't been greenlit or anything like that. The organization is working with car makers and suppliers to get them all on board. And if you wanted to learn more about what this is all about, you can follow ZEV2030.org. That is the website. And then they list a contact in this article, Molly Yoon. It's molly at ZEV2030.org if you wanted to get involved. If this is something that is interesting to you and you do live in California, perhaps, you know, you can get involved. I think that this is very interesting. It says that uh, having spoken with several battery mineral experts about this, 100% of electric vehicle sales by 2030 globally seems impossible. And Elon Musk has recently said that he estimates that it will probably be a bit over 50% by around 2030. However, leaders are you know, leaders and they can go for cities and states and make these automakers basically force their hand is what they're trying to get at. So 
I don't know. This will be interesting. I'm a little skeptical, as probably most of you are. 100% is a lot to ask, considering how expensive electric vehicles may still be by 2030. I think we all know, and that'll be a whole other topic we're going to be getting into EVs. We all know how the price of batteries is an issue at this point. The, the numbers are definitely showing positive uh trending downward, meaning that the vehicles are going to be a little bit more feasible price-wise compared to your typical vehicles. It's a part of why, you know, GM came out and said that they're going to be launching their fleet. It's definitely not the whole story, but they can make these a little bit more cost-effective. So thought I'd share that news with you guys. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one, where the U.S. officially has returned to the Paris Climate Pact. Many people, of course, have talked about this. We did talk about this a few weeks back, and that was because of the, um, you know, when Biden was sworn into office, it was pretty much everyone knew this was going to be happening. So I am going to use my second source here, which is NPR. And so the United States, it says here, officially rejoined the Paris Agreement on Climate Change designed to limit global warming and avoid its potential catastrophic impacts. Nearly 200 nations have signed on to the landmark and committed to limit their greenhouse gas emissions in an attempt to keep the global warming below 2 degrees Celsius, preferably below 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to the pre-industrial temperatures. So this is really great news. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with the details because we've sort of covered this and I don't want to drag this episode along. As I've you know, kind of mentioned, this is going to be more riffing and it's just going to be more organic, less cuts. So I thought overall last week we did a good job. So I'm going to keep us going here. The third story here, which is actually fairly interesting, it's a story that Grist covered and it talks about the new taxes on flights could provide poor countries money to fight climate change. So right off the bat, that you know caught my attention. It says that taxes on international transport could provide new flows of finance to developing countries to help them to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and cope with the impacts of climate change. And it says that rich countries are failing on their pledge to provide the $100 billion a year to help poor countries uh, cope with the climate crisis. I'm not sure if I like the terminology to say poor, but, um, you know, financially challenged, however we want to say that, because, I don't know, just sort of paints a picture that we're above them, and I just don't think that's the case. We've also talked about how the U.S. was going to be funding this um, I think it was $300 billion, if I'm remembering correctly, and we've, or sorry, it probably was $3 billion, and we've only funded $1 billion. That sounds a lot more likely, um, but feel free to check me on that. I don't 100% remember. But anyways, I think that this is really interesting, and, I, you know, obviously if we can pledge the $100 billion from, you know, public or private sources each and every year, it would be helpful, but let's be honest, that's a lot of money. And this, in my estimation, this seems like something that can very well be passed or approved. So we'll follow this story as we continue to learn more and more. goes on to say that a group of six experts from the U.S., Europe, and Bangladesh call for clear rules on what can count as climate finance. So I think that this is the probably the initial discussion we need to be having is what is this going to be used for and what are we defining uh you know 
what is climate finance really? You know, where is that money going to actually meet the needs of these countries? So the U.N. Security General Antonio Guterres told The Guardian in December that the failure to meet the pledge could be a serious stumbling block to the success of COP26, which is the U.N. And the U.N. basically talked about uh, a place to sort of continue this dialogue later this year. So it sounds like they're going to be putting together some sort of an event there is going to continue to be developments on the story, as I mentioned. So we'll follow that. Like I said, I wanted to keep this segment nice and quick. So we're going to go ahead and transition and get into the main segment, talking about what caused the U.S. snowstorm power outages. And we're going to be back on the break. I wanted to take a second to thank you for listening, and I hope that this podcast is eye-opening and helpful for you. I created a weekly newsletter, which you can find in the show notes, to create a curation of articles that I don't have a chance to talk about on the podcast, but I still think that they're going to be great topics for you to know about. These articles will specifically be about climate change and carbon neutrality, just as the podcast is. The newsletter will be written in TLDR form, or Too Long Don't Read. That way you can get a gist of what happened in the space, but I will also be linking the articles. That way you can click to see those as well. You will only get one email per week sent out every Friday, and it will contain between three to five summarized articles. That way you don't feel overwhelmed. This newsletter will be one of the easiest ways for you to stay in the know, so make sure to click in the show notes to sign up for the newsletter. All right, so let's talk about these power outages. Obviously, there's a snowstorm, and you can argue that there's many snowstorms within this massive snowstorm that are happening, not just in Texas, but throughout a majority of the Midwestern states or south south around Texas, basically. There's a lot of states involved, so it's really hard to kind of pinpoint it. I will also say that there's a good chance that there is other states that are just not being covered in the national media. So I'll give you a really good example. Right now, obviously, I have mentioned a few times on this podcast that I'm moving to Portland, so I'm following the local news over there. And the reason that I think that Texas is being covered so much is because that many other states are using the same power grid. So naturally, you're going to be talking about Texas more. Not only are they a large state, but the you know the, the amount of, of people that are being impacted by this same power grid, naturally, you're going to be talking about it. But I did want to highlight... What I've been hearing in Oregon, at least, to kind of give you perspective of what we may not be hearing around the country. And for that matter, uh, you know, it it is worth taking note. So I mentioned uh, I've been following them pretty frequently. I'd say daily over the last two weeks just because I kind of want to be in the know. I'm also going back up to Portland in March, as I mentioned, because I'm going to check out our apartment. So I'm sure it will be better by then, but it may not. So it's just good to be in the loop. So anyways, the media had covered that there's two snowstorms that basically hit the area. One had hit initially, it was like a Thursday and a Friday. And then it was like the Sunday 
of that that week or a few days later that they had mentioned another snowstorm is going to be hitting. And this obviously impacted the power outages. And so in the portrait or sorry, in the Portland metro area alone, 230,000 people lost their power. And it was so bad that they're now saying as of yesterday that the National Guard is being called in to assist with these conditions because they're actually considered the most dangerous conditions they've ever had, according to a utility director at Pacific Gas and Electric. And that's obviously the company that's responsible for providing gas and power in the area. I heard that well over 350,000 outages at its peak were uh, happening throughout the state of Oregon. And as of yesterday, there's still 52,000 people without power in Oregon. So all that to be said, I really apologize if I'm not talking about your state. I think right now we've had like 12 or 13 states that have listened to the podcast. I really appreciate that. If we haven't covered your state because of this story, I I do apologize. I think everybody that's being impacted by this is just as important. But for the sake of this conversation, we're going to be talking about Texas and the other 13 states that are being covered heavily. So the insider actually wrote an article talking about uh, it's called 14 states facing rolling blackouts amid massive winter storms after a major power operator declared an energy emergency. So Southwest Power Pool ordered rolling blackouts for 14 states on Monday. So this was basically a week from when you heard or hearing this episode. So it says that at least 2.8 million people were left without power in Texas. And this was, again, on Monday. That's a lot of people. So it makes it's no surprise, right? I mean, you look at the sheer numbers. I said 350,000, probably more, more like 400, could be even 500,000 in in Oregon. But yeah, it's pretty mind boggling if you think about it. The article talks about how a major power grid manager that operates in the states of North Dakota and Texas has become uh, this is where, you know, it's being hit. And it says that Southwest Power Pool, which is headquartered in Little Rock, uh, ordered these rolling blackouts Monday, declaring the emergency uh, energy emergency. And I'm sure you guys have seen the images on, you know, social media where the ones that come to mind are the frozen over toilet and then the um, like the wind or sorry, the I'm forgetting it, the fan, um, the overhead fan in somebody's bedroom where they basically it was just like frozen and it had like icicles. I'm sure you guys have seen these pictures. I also have two co-workers that are on my team that live in Texas and one of them lost his power. He lost it for I think like three days or so. Um, the other guy, he didn't lose power, him and his family, but they were not able to use their like washer dryer because it had frozen, um, like the water components of the washer dryer. So, uh, you know, hearing from people that I know obviously hits closer to home. I'm planning on calling my grandparents. I really should because they live in Austin and or not in Austin, but right around the area. And I'm sure they were impacted. So definitely got to check in with them. But anyways, the other states that were hit are Oklahoma, Kansas, parts of Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Nebraska and New Mexico. 
Now, the grid operator said in a statement that it was the first time that they had to order these mass rolling blackouts and that it was doing so to prevent further uncontrolled power failures. What I had heard from one of the guys who had the power outages uh, in Texas, he lives in Waco, he had mentioned that they were turning off some of the neighborhoods in order to prevent these power outages and then they could fix another neighborhood. Well, the problem is, is they were just having too many people calling in and com- not, not complaining. It's obviously their right to uh, want the power. So they would call in and they basically decided they were no longer going to be turning off these neighborhoods for the sake of trying to prevent, as it's saying here, for these power failures. So they mentioned that it's a last resort, that we understand it puts a burden on our member utilities and the customers that they serve, but it's a step that they're consciously taking to prevent circumstances from getting worse, which could result in uncontrolled outages of an even greater magnitude. So as you can probably imagine, with a grid system affecting 14 states and millions of people, they're got to, and, and it's never been this way. Think about it. Like, when have you ever thought of Texas? For those of you that's not from the, the country, because I've been checking my analytics, and now we're at like 47% Americans, the rest of you guys from all over the world. But Texas, is for those of you that don't know, is sort of known as the wild, wild west, right? It's, uh, I've been there many times, because that's where my, my mom's side of the family is from. She's from Austin. And, yeah, you just don't think of Texas as the area that would get hit for any sort of a snowstorm. So these are unprecedented times for the state, and clearly they're dealing with something that's not something that you can prepare for because you don't invest into the resources necessary necessary to fix this, right? So... Let's talk about what caused these blackouts in Texas. And there are a few articles that I'm going to be looking through here. First, the New York Times covered it. It's funny. they The first thing that they say is, no, wind farms aren't the main cause of the Texas blackouts. We'll get into that in a second. It says that the statewide electricity failure was largely caused by freezing natural gas pipelines. That didn't stop advocates for fossil fuels from trying to shift the blame. So this article sort of could hint at that. And so for that sake, I might actually just pop over to my other source because I don't want to get too much into that at this moment because uh, we're going to be covering that in the next segment. So let's talk about Huffington Post. So it says that coal, natural gas, and nuclear plants, not wind turbines, were the main cause and they kind of paint the same picture where it's we're trying to set the facts, set the story straight. So the powerful windstorm stamp, stampeded across the continental U.S. this week, blasting Texas with Arctic temperatures that triggered widespread blackout, plunging these millions into the darkness. So let's go ahead and get into the, the part where it's interesting. So... Now, energy analysts and electricity experts said that a complete failure to plan for extreme weather scenario caused this cascading disaster. But let's be real here, as I was just mentioning. How can you really plan for this? It says that the grid operator planned to get about 90% of the electricity load from what is called firm and reliable sources, such as coal, natural gases, and nuclear reactors. And it's been a failure that our firm and reliable sources haven't been reliable. So... 
That's what's going on. It says of about 70,000 megawatts worth of gas, coal, and nuclear plants, as much as 30,000 megawatts has been offline since Sunday night. So this is about a week ago. And then complicating things much further, homes in Texas are designed to keep these temperatures roughly around 30 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, for the cold air outside in the blistering summers or obviously within the winters. Everything in Texas is focused around summer peak demand. As you probably are well aware of, if your your, your AC unit goes out in Texas or you don't have a central AC unit that's reliable, it's got to be pretty brutal there. And that's where, when we talk about climate change, that's where minds go for Texas. It's never the other way around. So it says that, you know, they're trying to keep it 75 degrees inside versus 105 outside. But now we're talking about a difference of 60 degrees, and they're not designed to do that, and they're frankly losing the battle. So that's sort of the situation that they're in, and that's what's caused these power outages. As we mentioned, 90% coming from natural gases. So in the next—sorry. And as I mentioned, about 90% is not just natural gases, but it's natural— resources, things that are power, you know, proven and should be working. Only 10% is coming from renewable energies, but that's what we're going to be talking about in segment three, which is debunking renewable energies involvement on power outages. We're going to take a break and we're going to hear from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by 1% for the Planet. At 1% for the Planet, they state their purpose plainly. They exist to ensure that our planet and our future generations thrive. However, achieving this goal requires a multifaceted approach that addresses both environmental and social justice issues. They've outlined a list of nonprofit organizations that work at the pivotal intersection of race and the environment. And they also make it very easy to identify brands that share this same passion. So what does it mean to be 1% for the Planet? Well, they offer two different types of memberships, business and individual. You can enroll your business or yourself to join by donating 1% of your revenue or your salary to the approved nonprofits via monetary donations or volunteer support. Individual members will have the chance to belong to a diverse and powerful global network that supports a full spectrum of environmental solutions. Additionally, I highly encourage you to check out their company directory to learn more about who is investing their 1% in making a difference today. And you can also find nonprofits. They have a separate directory for nonprofits. Get involved for free by supporting 1% for the Planet businesses and join the movement by becoming an individual member by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back into the episode. All right, so this is going to be the first time we're really going to be talking about politics heavily on the podcast. So I don't want to paint a picture that it's left versus right because that just gets messy and we don't need that really, frankly. For those of you that are not in the United States and you may not be aware of how our political system works, we have the Democrats and the Republicans and there is this, you know, this belief being pushed right now by Republicans or the right media, Fox News, blaming the green energy for Texas's power outages. That's just the facts. That's just what it is. I'm not here to 
take a stance or point fingers. I'm just here to report what I'm seeing. And so we're going to be covering the PolitiFact article that was put out. PolitiFact is sort of a fact-checking source, if you will. And so this is a fairly large article. They do summarize it at the top here. It says that the power outages in Texas were largely due to problems at coal and gas-fired plants. Wind farms ran about half of what was expected with some turbines being frozen. And that is going to be the running theme is these wind turbines being called out. It says on Fox News and other networks targeted by the far right, a different narrative was emerged. Wind turbines and green energy policies were mostly to blame. So Fox and other cable networks are spinning a false narrative that says frozen wind turbines, solar panels, and even somehow the Green New Deal are to blame for Texas' crippled energy system. And the reason that it says somehow the Green New Deal is many of you are probably aware the Green New Deal is not something that exists yet. It is a thought, it is a plan, but it is not being implemented by anyone. And so it gets a little murky when you're talking about these things and you're not necessarily educated to know these things. A majority of people that are probably listening to this podcast are not going to be listening to Fox News, I would imagine. So that said... Maybe you are listening to both, and hopefully this is you know eye-opening or ear-opening for you, I should say. So it's true that about, as it mentioned in the summary, about half of Texas's wind power capacity was shut down earlier this week. But it says that state energy officials and experts said that it's a bigger problem was the natural gas infrastructure. So as it meant as i just said the green new deal hasn't been passed in texas or anywhere else and for that you know because of that it isn't binding you know law binding in any way and where i initially heard these claims being brought up were from tucker carlson who is a host on fox news and he said Unbeknownst to most people, the Green New Deal came to Texas, the power grid in the state became totally reliant on windmills, and then it got cold and the windmills broke because that's what happens when you sign the Green New Deal. And between February 15th and 16th alone, windmills or wind turbines were mentioned more than 100 times apparently on Fox and Fox Business Networks. And then the Green New Deal was mentioned more than 25 times. To a lesser extent, the same terms cropped up repeatedly on a few other stations that are you know, competing for this same audience. Mentions Newsmax TV and One America Fox and, sorry, One America News Network. So everyone sort of knows OANN is probably the most conservative or far-right network out there. So that doesn't surprise me. It's showing some of the headlines in this article uh, that they ran on Fox News. One says Biden's big green disaster, green energy disaster, winter storm cripples, Texas green energy grid, massive green energy failure during Texas cold snap, frozen wind turbines cause blackouts in Texas. So those are the headlines that are being run. It's pretty laughable, but... It's not surprising. And then, you know, things just continued to grow throughout the week when it came to these stories. And so former governor of Texas, Rick Perry, 
said that Texans would accept even longer power outages to keep federal government out of their business. And so this was a whole story that kind of unraveled. The Washington Post covered it here. And for those of you that don't know, not only was Perry the former governor of Texas, but he used to serve on Trump's administration as an energy secretary. So he holds some weight to Republicans And Perry is falsely blaming the wind turbines for these mass outages, as they are as well. And then, to make matters sort of worse, is the current governor, Greg Abbott, also directed his ear at frozen wind turbines. But that doesn't surprise you, because that's all he's sort of hearing. So as you could see, many people now, you've got Fox News, you have OANN, you have another far-right art, you know media company you've got the former governor of texas you've got the current governor of texas all talking about how green energy is the issue but we just heard that only 10 percent is realistically the main source of the problem when it comes to renewable energy and of that it sounds like about 50 percent of the solar or of these wind panels um we're we're not working. So that sort of begs the question, where or how are we going to, where do we go next? I guess is the, the first question that came to mind. And how are we going to make sure that this doesn't happen going forward? Obviously, we can't have, let's just say for a second here, that half of green energy was Uh, or let's just say that half of the grid was green energy. And then of that half, let's say 25% of the total or 50% of green energy was frozen. That's obviously not a good look. So I will say, yes, they're making these crazy statements that it is all on green energy, but let's be real here. There is an issue. And I want to mention that because we can't just assume that people that are you know covering this in a, a an irrational way don't have any point they they have somewhat of a point if you really think about it and i want to talk about what would be their motivation for you know painting this picture i i sort of have a theory as to why you know fox news and even especially governor or former governors, politicians in general, it makes a ton of sense. I think where this sort of, you know, plays out, you have a lot of lobbyist money coming from these natural gas, uh, fossil fuel, oil-based companies. They're paying lots and lots of lobbyist money. And so it's in the best interest of the governors, former Governor Perry and uh, current Governor Abbott to be talking negatively. And Fox News, it only serves them right to be on the right side of things, ironically. That's what it's coming out to be. So I do think that there is something that we should just take from this, though, you know, and we need to be thinking about what what could come in the future if we don't make the the resources sturdy and strong? So not to say that clearly it didn't serve well for the, you know, natural 
resources. So I don't know. A part of me is like, well, when are we going to ever face this scenario again? Right. It, it just could have been an anomaly. And how much of it can we blame even on the current system? So anyways, I don't want to harp on that too much. I do want to move on and talk about an NPR article where Biden is going to be authorizing a broader disaster relief for Texas. So despite what Perry had mentioned, it seems that Biden and Abbott spoke Thursday night regarding the response that was needed and that obviously they're facing unprecedented times. Several people are homeless. Others have died in these freezing temperatures. So there's a plan that needs to be had and they need help, right? So Biden said that he wants to visit Texas but doesn't want to be a burden on the recovering efforts. So he's sort of going to decide early next week on basically this week on whether he's going to be going. And it sounds to me that they're working on a relief package and trying to figure out how the government can help. And so this is where it gets really interesting. You know, Texas may not want that help, but they kind of need it at this point. Now, New York Times put out a really cool article, I thought, of the lessons that we can learn from this Texas power disaster. It's an editorial opinion piece, but I thought I would share some of the highlights that I got from this article. And oh, by the way, before I even get into this article, I mean, everyone's really been talking about Ted Cruz this week. Let's be honest. I haven't even talked about him. Some have come out and said these negative thoughts. Then there are people like Ted Cruz who've left the state, or left the country for that matter. And so this is not the leadership that Texas really needs in these moments. And it's fair to say that not just in Texas, but in everywhere around us, there needs to be a radical overhaul as to how to handle this situation from a leadership perspective and work alongside President Biden with this climate change initiative, this Green New Deal when it comes in play and this Paris Accord agreement that we're in. It only helps them to work with them instead of I get financially and that's my whole theory about all of this, like I said, Financially, it may not make sense, but for the betterment of the people, I think that's where we really need to learn here. And sometimes learning is best done the hard way, and that's my, that might be where we face a lot of the you know consequences with climate change is learning the hard way. But I think this is just one of those mini stories that sort of paints a trajectory and a trend to if we don't you know, see these signs as something as a way to that we need to actually get together in a room and work together to to fix these things. You know, it says that there are two lessons here that need to be absorbed and acted on. First, the country's energy systems must be robust enough to withstand whatever surprises climate change is likely to bring. And that is with the current system and the system that comes later on. Right. Like, as I mentioned, 
And there's little doubt that a warming climate turned to California's forests into tinderboxes leading last summer's frightening wildfires. So what they're really saying is there's no doubt climate change is a thing. And I think we've all come around to this idea over the last five to ten years. The article goes on to say if building resilience is one imperative, another is making sure that the American power systems, the grid in particular, are reconfigured to do ambitious uh, job with what Mr. Biden has in mind, not just to survive these effects of climate, but to lead the fight against it. And so it kind of summarizes in the simplest terms, what we'll need to do is anything electrifying and everything in sight needs a huge increase in battery-powered cars and charging stations to serve them, a big jump in the number of homes and buildings that are heated by electric heat pumps instead of oil and gas, and crucially, a grid that delivers all the electricity from green energy sources like wind and solar. This, in turn, will require Congress a clear-eyed look at the climate-driven calamities that have beset California, the Caribbean, and most recently Texas. It will also require an honest accounting of the great cost in both human and financial terms and of the need to guard against the recurrence in years to come. So all that to be said, I thought that that article was really interesting. There was something that came out in Clean Technica that mentioned that Texas is going to add 35 gigawatts of wind and solar over the next three years to boost the grid resilience. So That's a really great headline to hear. Very, very timely, naturally. And I just think that I'm going to wrap up my final thoughts in this outro, but I just think that we need to keep in mind that if we're going to build this wind and solar out, it needs to be able to handle these natural disasters to get everyone on board. Because if it handles it, Obviously, another point I made in the very beginning was we don't face this very often in many of these climates. That's what makes the United States so difficult, too. I think we have to take a step back and realize we have way more climates than any other country seemingly in the world. And that's because of how large our country is. So we have a much bigger challenge. But if we want to get everybody on board, if wind in solar works better it's only gonna happen over time it's natural to happen so let's go ahead transition into the outro i will talk to you on the other side hello is anybody out there I want you to be a part of the community that we're building here on the Carbon Neutral Podcast. There's nothing like connecting with like-minded people, and especially in a time where human contact isn't exactly common. The link for the Discord invite is in the show notes. In this group, we're going to have a discussion forum, and we're going to create many other threads based on your interests and your desire to be a part of it all. Signing up is free, and it only takes a few minutes. I look forward to seeing you on the other side. So I've kind of covered my thoughts on this situation as much as I really can. And so what I want to talk about in the outro is how we can help Texas in these trying times, not only Texas, but I think we should be thinking about everywhere. So research Oregon, research these other 13 states uh, that I had mentioned at the top of the episode, but I'm going to link a CNN article in the description. And I'm hoping that you guys have already 
done your your research, but they link the Salvation Army, American Red Cross. Uh, it looks like Mercy Chefs, the Houston Food Bank, Free Lunch, the Other Ones Foundation, a ton of food banks and a lot of great organizations that you can get involved in one time or ongoing. So I think that is where we should sort of leave this episode. If we can, let's go ahead and help everybody that needs it. I mean, for those of you that don't live in the United States, I definitely don't expect it, but it would be very helpful. Um, And I really appreciate you for even listening. As always, thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. This has been really enjoyable for me to record this podcast and we've got a lot of great content coming up and to speak to that I'm very excited to announce that next week we're going to be talking about ESG which is environmental social governments investing and I'm going to have a special guest on for the first time so fingers crossed that it works I've never recorded with somebody else so I'll make sure to get it down and get it good but episode challenge for the week very simple anytime you hear a news story this week question the motives behind the source so when you're reading an article that that you know spreads an opinion let's think about who they're trying to please by spreading the article so just think that's great advice naturally in any part of life so as always don't forget to rate the podcast and also make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast to stay up to date on future episodes I will talk to you guys all next week.